Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is award-winning author Paul Anderson. He has written 15 books and hundreds of feature articles for regional magazines. His new book is Moonlight Over Pearl, 10 Stories from Aspen, second edition, which is published by our friends at Roaring Fork Press. Paul, thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And before we dive into your book, Paul. Uh, You were a contributing editor for uh, the Aspen Times for many years. Can you tell us about your time there and about uh, how the Aspen Times then was different than the Aspen Times now? The Aspen Times, when I worked there uh, starting in uh, 1984, Mm -hmm. was an absolutely magical place to be in Aspen. The Times as a, for a reporter, opened every door to the community. And for my uh, role there as a reporter and editor, uh, I covered the cultural beat primarily, which was a huge gift to my life. And the exposure that I had to uh, the arts, literature, music, culture, the Aspen Institute, the music festival, um, it was uh, just a very enriching experience. So I immersed myself completely in it. And uh, it was really through that that I got to know Catherine Thalberg, who uh, uh, was the, the, the founder of Explore Booksellers. And uh, we, we had a friendship and uh, very similar political views. So um, uh, I, I always felt very secure and, and comforted at Explore as a beautiful place to be. But that went for all of Aspen for me in those days, because then it was only a weekly paper. There was no daily, and the weekly was uh, was a three and a half day commitment for me. So it was like working half time with full time benefits. Um, when I came here for my job interview, I rode my bicycle from Crested Butte, where I was living before this, mm-hmm. and uh, I met Bill Dunaway, the publisher of the Aspen Times, and Mary Hayes, the editor. And when I sat down with them, they looked over my files, and uh, we talked and hemmed and hawed a little bit. And then Bill asked me how I got to Aspen on that day, and I said I rode my bicycle. And he perked up, and he asked my route and I told him I rode over the backcountry way. I camped out along the way and uh, took a bath in Castle Creek before my interview, changed my clothes under a tree at Pepke Park and showed up at the Aspen Times. And when he heard that, he hired me on the spot because I was just the right perfect person to fit that job. Yeah, that's outstanding. Thank you so much. Paul, um, you mentioned Catherine Thalberg. You write about her in the introduction to this book, Moonlight Over Pearl. And she told you that the definitive book about Aspen had yet to be written. Uh, What did she mean by this, Paul? And what, in your opinion, has come the closest to being the definitive Aspen book? Catherine viewed Aspen in a very complex way. It was more than history. It was more than a recitation of facts and dates and events. 
Aspen was an idea uh, for her. And to, uh, to really articulate that idea um, would take a very expansive approach to any kind of literary effort. Mm -hmm. um, I think Catherine uh, was dissatisfied with the level of discourse that identified the values of Aspen that she really championed. And um, so she said no single book could ever really accomplish that. Um, my stories, I think she would have really appreciated because they combine history, uh, philosophy, experiences, ideas, nature. I tried to bring in everything I knew and loved about Aspen in this book. So um, my book, maybe she still would not agree that it's the full story, but it's a contributing part. And if I can just be a contributor to that, to that voice of what Aspen is, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. Fantastic. So is the definitive Aspen book uh, somewhat like the great American novel? Is it even an achievable goal to write such a thing, do you think? I don't think I, I don't think it is. I, I think it, it would require library shelves uh, of, of volumes, which exist. Uh, the whole story of Aspen can be learned and read and told by by photographs and and and. and uh, and text, but uh, a single book, I don't think I ever do justice to it. Like you said, the great American novel, what is it? It's, it, it's ephemeral. It, it, it's uh, abstract. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, now into your stories proper. I don't think I expected this uh, collection to be quite as dark as it is, um, which is, which is a, you know, um, a good thing. Uh, why did you choose to write about death in so many ways? You know, my, my wife has asked me the same thing. Uh, uh -huh. she, she said, if you do another collection of stories, instead of moonlight over pearl, how about sunrise over sopras or something, <laughs> something that would give some, some, some lightness to, to the topic. So a focus on death. Um, I think it's a reflection of the vitality that I have felt living here. Mm. It's almost like you need a, a yin for a yang, a, a dark for a light, a, a white for a black. Um, and death as a, as a sort of recurrent theme in some of my stories, uh, I think it also, it, it, it takes these stories um, uh, to, to an extent that, um, well, I'm not sure really how to describe it. Um, uh, it, it, it takes it to a, to a conclusion. And that conclusion isn't always happy and joyful. Uh, uh, often, I think it exists with conflict and loss. And I think the, the death uh, aspects of some of these stories, uh, the sort of fatal uh, 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 approach, if you will, is, is about addressing loss with um, loss of, of, of the great vitality of life that can be lived here. So um, um, like my, my first story, um, Black Ice, mm -hmm. describes uh, what I call double black diamond ice skating. And it's uh, done on natural ice with lakes that are freezing overnight on plates that are very thin. And my friends skate these, these conditions. If you fall in, or when you fall in, 
it's a life and death situation. So there is an effort to reach an edge here uh, athletically. Same thing with, with facing avalanches in, in the mountains when you're backcountry skiing. Mm -hmm. um, there is an edge that people seek here because it, I think, vitalizes. And as, as, um, as I, I wouldn't encourage it, but um, this is what happens routinely here. And um, there's, a, there's a contrast between life and death here that I was trying to approach that ultimately I think is, is stimulating and intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. And now um, I want to talk a little bit more about this first story, Black Ice, uh, which, as you mentioned, is about ice skating on a body of water. Um, how often have you done this, Paul, skated on a natural body of water? And for our listeners who have never done so, uh, what are the signs one should watch out for when looking to do so safely? So I've, I've skated on, on natural ice since I was a kid. I, I grew up in suburban Chicago mm -hmm. and uh, there was no skiing there. So ice skating was, was what was done. And there was a, a, a river near, near my house and uh, I used to skate that river and it was shallow. So it was never a, a desperate situation. But I, I came to appreciate natural ice, especially when I went to school in Gunnison uh, in 1969 at Western State College. Blue Mesa Reservoir is a reservoir that's 10 miles west of Gunnison. And it got very cold when I was there. 50 below zero was a, a temperature I saw more than once on the bank thermometer there. That would freeze Blue Mesa multi feet thick with ice. So it was never a risk of falling in, but to be out on natural ice, and I used to do it by moonlight at night with my friends and we'd go out there and the ice speaks to you. It's there's noises as it freezes and, and, and expands and, and these upheavals occur and, and there are booms and sounds and it, it, it's like a living thing. And to skate natural ice is, is, is there's a purity to it. Now, I don't, I have never done it the way my friends do it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't carry the protections that they carry life jackets, ice picks, so they can crawl their way out if they fall in, lengths of rope wrapped around them so they can throw it to someone to pull them out in the event of an immersion. And this is serious business because it's cold when they're doing this because the plates are fresh and, and have formed often just overnight in sub-zero temperatures. So um, there's a very intense experience to it and they go with the right protections, but even then sometimes they can get in trouble. And that's what this story is about. Um, may I read just one paragraph from this, yeah, Jason? Absolutely, for sure. So um, it, it, here's, here's my character, his name is Eric, and he's modeled after a friend of mine who is from Holland and has skating in his genetics. Mm -hmm. Eric is drawn to the shore where the ice begins. He crouches down, pulls off his gloves and spreads out his fingers. He presses his hands against the hard coldness and reads the ice, its brief history told in crystalline veins where captured air bubbles are beaded up like mercury. The ice stretches like plate steel in a huge sheet with perfect uniformity. It absorbs the low slanting rays the way a black hole sucks up the sun. That's black ice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that passage, Paul. Listeners, we're going to take a short break here 
for a word from Libro FM Audiobooks. And then I will be right back with Paul Anderson. The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro FM has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Paul Anderson, author of Moonlight Over Pearl, which is published by our friends at Roaring Fork Press. Uh, Paul, um, back to this first story, Black Ice, for one more moment. Um, There is a scene when a character in your story is intoxicated by the impossibly smooth plate of ice. Um, and I'm assuming that ice skating on uh, such a smooth plate is similar to wanting to be the first person to ski down a mountain when fresh snow has fallen. Um, and my question is, why is this a thing that is important to people, Paul, to be the first person uh, to skate or ski on an undisturbed plate or mountainside? And if undisturbed nature is such a thrilling thing, uh, then why disturb it? Why not leave it alone? First tracks are a great allure uh-huh. for skiers, uh, especially, mm-hmm. um, because there, there you stand in in front of something that is unblemished, untouched, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and you have an opportunity to write your signature in in that meeting. Mm-hmm. On ice, it's the same thing. Uh, for the purest ice skater, uh, a, a, a fresh plate of ice, uh, fresh tracks. Uh, are, are it's an opportunity to 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 create something of of your own with your with your edges, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, nature as an untouched, unblemished entity deserves respect. Uh, it, uh, it 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 it's it's also so inviting that it's difficult to resist, um, and nature is refreshing. I mean that ice will eventually melt, another plate will come up. Uh, it's a renewable resource, you might say. Mm-hmm. So um, to stand at the edge of a plate of ice that is unmarked, uh, you feel like a pioneer. You feel like a great adventurer stepping onto that ice and setting your blade into that ice and carving your, 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 your strokes, your turns. To, to, to do a circle and, and look back on it and to look down at the ice and, and to see its, its blackness. And it's, there, there's a kind of a mystery to it, Jason, mm-hmm. that um, it's difficult to, ex- to, to describe unless you've done it. But um, a lot of people who have done it never forget that experience. And um, uh, I mean, ice just has a wonder of water. Uh, hardened water, crystallized water that is that is uh, has a context and, and a and a, um, a surface texture that is it's so smooth. It's one of the smoothest things you can imagine. So um, it, it is it, it is something to respect and something also to really appreciate and enjoy and celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, now on to the second story in this collection, The Living Saint. Um, 
why is and forgive me if I'm butchering the pronunciation here. Why is the uh, writer Goethe so important to the history of Aspen? Goethe was celebrated here in 1949 during the Goethe Bicentennial. His 200th birthday was marked by that seminal event and a, a really crucial experience for Aspen. It was when Aspen renaissance from a mining uh, economy and, and community into a cultural community began. So um, it, this whole idea was hatched at the University of Chicago by people who wanted to reintroduce German culture to the Western world in the aftermath of World War II and the horrors of that war. So Goethe was selected as the uh, a sort of uh, poster child, if you will, for Aspen's Renaissance in 1949. And it was because Goethe uh, he, he spanned two eras. He, he spanned uh, from really uh, medieval into the Enlightenment and uh, was highly regarded as, as a, uh, a civilizing, I think, cultural icon. So um, Goethe in Aspen, it seems very unlikely, but the fit was really beautiful. And I think that event the Goethe Bicentennial, two and a half weeks of culture and ideas and art and conversation still stands as Aspen's very highest point culturally, ethically, and morally. Wow. Thank you so much for that answer, Paul. Um, in this story, you describe the nightlife in Aspen. Uh, how did the nightlife in Aspen uh, then, when this story takes place, differ from the nightlife now? The, the character I create um, is a woman named Harriet, and she mm -hmm. attends the Goethe Bicentennial, and mm -hmm. and she meets by chance. She meets Albert Schweitzer, who came to give the keynote address. Dr. Albert Schweitzer, mm -hmm. uh, which also again elevated Aspen's uh, standing and stature by his just by his presence, known as the living saint, he was called. Mm -hmm. uh, she meets him in my story and, and is taken by his essence. So um, then the story moves on past the Goethe Bicentennial, and she lives the dream in Aspen in the 1950s and 60s, when Aspen was a very different place. Back then, there was a real frivolity that was encouraged here. Again, I think the post-war era required frivolity to heal the psycho-emotional wounds of the war. And the 10th Mountain Division troopers, the veterans who came out of that war, many of them founded that era of Aspen. And they brought their frivolity with them because they needed to heal themselves from the rigors of that war, especially those in the 10th Mountain who deployed in Italy and saw some of the most brutal warfare in World War II. Aspen became a place of high life, a place of celebrating, again, the, the vitality of, of life uh, in the mountains. And so uh, this woman, Harriet, she, um, her husband uh, passes away. She's a widower. And she goes into Aspen uh, a little recklessly. And, and so I, I, I portray that a bit. A lot of drinking, a lot of partying, a lot of carryings on. Not so much different from today. It's just uh, uh, different uh, intoxicants, you might say. But she lives that life uh, until it starts to take a toll on her. And then she has to step back and uh, sort of reform her life. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for that answer, Paul. Um, we're now going to move on to the story Moonlight Over Pearl, the third story in this collection, which, of course, is a story that your book is named after. Um, there is a scene in this story where a jet streaks across the sky and our protagonist begins to wonder about the people inside it and the different lives they are leading. Um, how often, Paul, do people think about these types of things and how different of a world would we be living in if people thought about the lives other people are leading more often? Imagine the story that I create, the picture that I create. These three skiers are are, are skiing um, cross-country skis. They're heading over Pearl Pass to the Friends Hut on the Crested Butte side of the Elk Range. They come up from Ashcroft in the late evening and the sun sets and suddenly it's, it's, it's plunged into cold. They stop at the Mace Hut for a dinner uh, with, with, uh, with Julie Mace. And then they set off above tree line. And this is where uh, the moon is starting to exert its, its, its ethereal influence on the Alpine high country and all covered with snow, but there are rock outcrops and it's dramatic and it's, it's, it, it's serene. And suddenly the serenity is shattered by an intrusion from uh, technology, the, the world of technology, the, the outside world. When that jet goes arcing across that night sky, it is a reminder that we live in two different worlds here. We can access wilderness and have a sense of, of an ancient past, but we are also always reminded at times, and somewhat poignantly, that we live in, in the industrial age. So that jet is a reminder that, that, that we're in those two worlds. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Paul. Um, finally, and listeners, we have only begun to scratch the surface of this remarkable collection as there are still seven stories we have not discussed. Uh, but finally, Paul, near the end of this story, Moonlight Over Pearl, um, after uh, our protagonist has spread his brother's ashes, um, he begins to wonder about uh, Mark um, and the direction he took, the choices he made, about whether his life followed his own choices or not. And it's often the latter, you write, uh, the unintended that dictate the direction of our lives. Um, can you elaborate on this idea, Paul, and maybe give our listeners some advice on how to live their lives uh, with intention. So the the character that I refer to um, is um, deceased, and uh, and his brother then uh, is, sp is spreading the ashes. That's why they're skiing over Pearl Pass mm -hmm. to deliver those ashes to the. Uh, so um, uh, reflecting on 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 how to live uh, is is something that I've done often um, on these trips. Because uh, when you're skiing or cycling or hiking, there's a meditative experience. And you can't help but wonder about uh, what is the summation of, of my life? And uh, part of it is it, it's, it's referred to often as living the dream, so-called. And that's what Mark had done. He had lived the dream, but really hadn't uh, uh, given himself enough sustenance to make that sustainable. And I would just like to offer um, one more uh, paragraph from yeah. a, a, another story in the book, mm -hmm. First Snow, uh, where um, 
it describes someone who also is in that that decision phase where um, how do you live life in, in the mountains? Um, it was all so easy, so simple, so natural. You did what you loved and you did it with reckless abandon. Wealth was not a fat bank account or a palace on Red Mountain. The riches of the world were there for the taking on every summit he ever climbed with every glorious day spent living free in the mountains in all the peak experiences that touched his soul. You pledged your time and sometimes your life to your friends. You followed the fall line and fell in love every day. That's the wealth of experience that can be had here. That's what to me is the Aspen idea. That is what I think Catherine Thalberg would have really celebrated with these stories is a spiritual alignment with this place. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Paul. And thank you for writing this wonderful collection. Listeners, I've been speaking with Paul Anderson, author of Moonlight Over Pearl, 10 Stories from Aspen, which is published by our friends at Roaring Fork Press. Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Jason, thank you. Once again, I would like to thank Paul Anderson for joining me. Copies of Moonlight Over Pearl can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore process. My name is Jason Jefferies and this has been Booking.